0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, if you would, please. Luke chapter 14. We're continuing the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, we find ourselves in Luke 14 this morning. Uh, Jesus is working his way through the Galilean region, one village or town at a time. And... um, He's just a few short months away from the cross, and uh, he's, he's pretty much at this point focusing on his disciples and teaching them about, um, you know, to preparing them for his departure. So he's teaching them how to be Jesus to people. He's teaching them the principles and whatnot. And uh, he's not, that doesn't come with any, um, short of any any trials though. As Jesus continues to work his way down to Jerusalem, what we find is that the the Pharisees and the scribes they make they're not making jesus's life easy at all they want to um they've rejected him and they they're looking to remove him uh he is a nuisance to them and so uh they're looking to get rid of him and that's evident in our text this morning so stand with me if you would we're going to read luke chapter 14 we're going to just look at the first six verses here this morning luke 14 in verse 1 it says one sabbath When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox, that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him up pull him out and they could not reply to these things father we thank you for your word this morning we thank you for what you're going to teach us lord i pray for our hearts right now that they would be open to you that all distractions would be set aside lord that your spirit would speak directly and intimately into our hearts and that lord you would transform us increase our faith today lord Help us to be able to believe more in you and to trust in you. Even if maybe there's some here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, that they would, they would sense the calling this morning to lay their life down, for, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, Father, we are yours. We ask that you come teach us now by your Spirit, Lord. Just get me out of the way and just speak clearly to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen amen you ever notice how similar life is to a movie You ever notice that seriously think about it you go from set to set playing your storyline out all the while your respective audience is watching for those of you who have the ben stiller role you're you're in the comedy and no matter what happens, it seems like you find yourself in some embarrassing, awkward moment in life and, and you're trying to respond to that. I'm sure you have plenty of those in your life. Some of you live far too suspenseful lives and you're like Liam Neeson, you know, the guy from Taken or, you know, uh, the, the gray, that guy. Like your, your life is just in a moment's notice, it's twists and turns and it's so intense. But I would venture to guess that most of our lives, Are being lived out through a drama where we are faced with conflict with ourselves with others uh, with nature that typically seems to be the life of each of us the type of film shows us human beings at our best at our worst and everything in between although there are many ups and downs in our in our lives twists and turns the storyline has one constant though And that is that somebody is always watching. Somebody is always watching. Now, you might say immediately, trust me, nobody's watching my life. You don't know my life. My life is boring. Listen, your life probably is boring. That's okay. Nothing wrong with a boring life. But I promise you, no matter how boring your life might be, somebody's always watching. People watch golf for crying out loud. Your your life is not any more boring than that. Somebody's always watching you. You're always on stage. The lights are always on. The camera's always rolling. And the audience is always, and I mean always, watching. Some are watching to be your critic. Some are watching purely out of their own entertainment. And some are watching to... Uh, help them play a better part in their own respective movies that should be the reality in the forefront of every every christian's mind that somebody is watching somebody's watching us there isn't anyone who knows that better than jesus himself man he lived under the spotlight his audience for the most part played the critic too didn't they As Jesus lived his life under the spotlight, there was always somebody critiquing and criticizing what he did. So if that's how you feel today, then you're in good company. You're being like Jesus. Because that was his life. My brother and I were were recently in a conversation with a, a veteran in the WWE realm, the world wrestling entertainment space. Don't judge me for that. You know, Hulk, Hulkamania is still around. It still lives forever. It's supposed to live forever. That's what he said. But anyway, um, we, were, we were talking about how the, the present-day wrestling matches are all scripted. They're, they're all, you know, totally scripted. Uh, you guys know wrestling's fake, right? I'm not, I'm not shocking anybody here. That's not a newsflash, I hope. But, but, but here's the thing is, this guy has been involved in the, that arena for a long time, and he was telling us that, Back in the day, that might be quite a ways away from where you are, you know, back in the day, uh, maybe the 80s or so, 90s, you know, the the reality is is that they, the wrestlers, had a lot of room to play. They they were called to play the crowd, to play to the crowd. They were actors called to play to the crowd. And so, you know, uh, they knew going into the match what it was going to be like and who was going to um, win and all that, but how they got to that place was completely dependent on the crowd. Like, you know, they, they would, you would see them do different things and you can almost see them calling out to the crowd, kind of seeing what they like and then they go back and do that more. They were playing to the crowd. Now, some people live their Christian life like that. Playing to the crowd. Becoming what they want others to... Others, what, becoming what others want them to become rather than to being who they're called to be. And let me just tell you something, as a Christian, everybody loses in that sense. When you start to play to the crowd, you lose and everybody else loses. You stop being what you're called to be, i.e. the light of the world, and the, the watcher, the audience, stops receiving what they need to receive, and that is the truth. And so there's a danger for us that we are actors, that we are, we are in, in a sense, playing a movie role... We have to be careful that we don't play to the crowd. Jesus, the one who was in the limelight the most, who, who had the spotlight on him, always never played to the crowd. You know that. He played his role. And he played his role perfectly. When you and I stop becoming the light to the world, it, it, we become, we, our movie becomes a flop. And we have to guard against that. We can't let our guard down and, and become pleasing to man rather than God. It's easy to slip into that. But I'm thankful Jesus never did. He was our perfect role model. He, was, he played his role perfectly as a savior. We see this in our text this morning. The crowd is present. People are watching, and yet Jesus doesn't let that affect his role. I've titled my message, Lights, Camera, Action, because as I read this account, I can't help but to think of the effort and the planning and the scripting that it took To get jesus on the stage with these pharisees so that they could meticulously critique him and hopefully finally incriminate him that's what they're after but spoiler alert they come up short once again we consider this production by looking at the set the setting and the setup first look at the set with me in verse one there one sabbath he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the pharisee there were they were watching him carefully The set is this, Jesus enters uh, the home of a prominent Pharisee. We don't know who this man was. What we do know is that he was a man of stature, that he was prominent. He was a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, he could have been a ruler of the synagogue there. Uh, Many believe that he was perhaps a, a ruler and a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin being that 23 to 71 uh, a group of men that were the council for every city they had a Sanhedrin plopped in every city and they needed at least 23 people to be the judges to be the ones to to determine what was right and wrong for their city perhaps this man was one of them we don't know but regardless of the position that he held what we do know is mark or Luke tells us specifically that he was a ruler that he was a prominent man an influencer what happens when you come into the presence of a prominent man or woman? What happens to you? You ever had that happen where you, someone famous and all of a sudden you, you're in their presence and, and, and maybe something changes in you? For Jesus, nothing happens. He's the exact same. He has the right view of man. He doesn't allow the stature of man on earth to affect him in any way, shape, or form. But, but many of us do. When we become in the presence of somebody that is prominent maybe of power maybe famous whatever it might be all of a sudden we change maybe we become you know palms start to sweat uh you know our our language we can't we don't even know what to say we're stumbling over our words or whatever it's called being starstruck being starstruck i remember one time i i had the privilege of uh, picking up lou ferrigno the the original incredible hulk you know Um, And and this guy, um, you know, I was probably 21 years old. I picked him up. I was, you know, it was back in the day when you could meet the guy at the gate, right, when he was coming off the plane. And the first thing he says to me, you know, I was in Montana at the time. He goes, where'd you send me, Iceland? You know, because it was freezing outside. So we got off to a great start, by the way. And and then, you know, I, I was so, like, his presence, I was just like, uh... Uh, Hello, sir. I mean, ma'am. I don't know what, you know, and I was stumbling over my words. I thought you'd be bigger. I mean, smaller. I didn't know what to say to him. And, you know, I was stumbling over myself. And, you know, there I had two things against me. Number one, he was a prominent guy. Number two, he's huge. He's gigantic. Like his arms, his hands were bigger than my thighs. So, you know, I had a lot to overcome in that moment. But you get the picture. For some odd reason, we can be affected by... The, the stature of somebody, by their fame, by their prominence, whatever it might be, by their power. And that can change our behavior as we get around them. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. In business, I kind of made it a point to, um, you know, pray before my meals with with all my different clients and vendors and stuff like that. And for the most part, you know, it was one of those things that I, um, you know, I did because I wanted to make Jesus famous in some way, shape, or form, and that was an easy way to do it. Although not, it wasn't always easy. You know, sometimes you get in the presence of some people and you're like, oh, man, awkward. I don't know that I want, really want to do this right now. And it wasn't comfortable all the time. And I can tell you there were a couple times that I didn't do it. Why? Fear of man. Afraid. Why? Of what? Who? Them? Come on but yet it happens. And you know, every one of us has been in a situation like that where we didn't say something because of who that person was. We didn't proclaim something because of who that person was. We changed. And so we have to be careful that when we come into prominent, uh, in the the presence of prominence or stature or, or fame or whatever it might be, that we don't change. Because let me tell you something, God put you there. You realize that? Like we believe God has a plan for our life. We believe that he's doing something. God put you there. And you might be the only light or maybe the last light that those people see. God put you there. Don't change. Don't don't allow the stature of man to eclipse who you're called to be. You're called to be the light of the world. Beware of the fear of man. As Jesus enters This set, He doesn't change. He doesn't forget His mission. Particularly that He is the light of the world. And if He doesn't shine His light, there is no light. Jesus never forgot that. And so we have the set, now the setting. Notice it was one Sabbath day. Jesus was invited to a dinner party. Now, this will play a role more into next week's sermon, but a dinner party... These guys, these prominent men, would get together with other prominent men of the, of the city and they would call a dinner party and they would get together and they would fluff each other up and, they would, and you know, they, would, they would tell each other how great they are and all this kind of stuff. That's the kind of dinner party Jesus was invited to. It was a pride fest, a pride feast where, where they were going to you know, puff each other up and yet they were doing something different. They had a plan and an agenda on this particular dinner party it was the Sabbath. The Pharisees knew that they could gain some incriminating information, some, some evidence from Jesus on the Sabbath because they understood Him to be a lawbreaker. Jesus was no lawbreaker, by the way. He didn't obey man's law. He, 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 he obeyed God's law. And those aren't, the, those aren't the same thing, are they? Man's law, i.e. legalism, is what Jesus was facing here on the sabbath day that, that at this dinner party these guys had changed the law completely the pharisees the scribes they had they had turned god's law into a burden so much so that they, they themselves couldn't even keep it jesus said in luke chapter 4 1146 woe to the lawyers also for you load people with burdens hard to bear And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one finger. The lawyers. These are the the ones that were called to interpret the the law. They were the religious scribes. They were the lawyers. They are the ones that argued the points. So if Jesus wanted to have a religious argument with somebody, it would be with the scribes because they were the lawyers. They were the experts of the day. They're the ones that interpreted the law. Notice what Jesus says to them. He condemns them for loading people down with burdens that they could hardly carry. These burdens were the details that the Pharisees added to God's law. Listen, it started out innocently. All the way back when the children of Israel came out of um, bondage from Babylon back into their homeland. And God restored Israel. At that point in time, Ezra and Nehemiah, it's during that period of time, they, they set up this this council of men. And they began to build a fence around God's law. And that fence was, hey, let's, let's not do this, this, or this, because if we do this, this, or this, we're getting kind of close to maybe God's law. We want to build a fence around it so that we don't violate it. Why? Because it, in, in violating God's law always led them to captivity, right? So they're like, yeah, we don't want, we're, we're kind of over the, sta- the slave stage. We don't want to be slaves anymore. So they, they started to build. It was innocent. But as time began to roll and, you know, it became more than what it was supposed to be in the first place, they added 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions to ensure that they didn't come close to breaking the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know. Ten? 613? Uh, You know, I can't even deal with the ten, but we're going to put 613 before you. Jesus said they gave these people burdens that they themselves could not keep they thought that they could find life in the scriptures in ie the law that's what he's talking about but Jesus tells them this in John five thirty nine through 40 you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life again the scripture that Jesus is referring to is the commandments that's where they found Life. Do you know it is possible to read the Scriptures and to think that in them you have life? Do you know that? People do it all the time. By, oh, I'm just going to obey the Scriptures. I'm just going to do what they say, and that's how I'm going to get to heaven. doesn't work that way, does it? No, because you can't obey them. You're depraved. You're, You're completely and totally sinful. And so in your best efforts to do that, you know, and God would have us use our best efforts to do that, by the way. But that's not how we're saved. We need a Savior because we, could, we violate God's Word. And Jesus came to be that Savior for us. His blood was shed that we might gave, gain forgiveness as a result of breaking His law. You can read the Scriptures and think that you, in them you have life, but Jesus would say, I tell you they speak of me. They'll point you to me. God gave the commandments for that purpose. Do you realize that? To point us to Jesus. There are really two reasons that God gave the commandments. First, to judge sin, and secondly, to reveal sin. First, to judge sin. There is no law. If there is no law, then there could be no judgment for the law, right? Romans chapter 2, verse 12 says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Makes sense. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? If I'm driving down the road and it says 55 and I'm going 60, I'm knowingly breaking the law. There's a law and I'm breaking it and I'm violating it. I understand that. That's called a transgression. Willful, just doing it anyway. Wouldn't it be unfair if a Columbia police officer came up to me and said, hey, you're breaking this law. Well, what law is that? Well, this is is a law that you don't know about. It's not in existence right now, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna charge you as violating that law. That would make no sense. You can't judge somebody if there's no law in place. That was Paul's point. Paul was making the point that because Gentiles didn't have the law, that they would not be judged by God's law. However, they weren't off the off the. Um, they didn't get out of. They didn't skate out of it. They still sinned against God because God wrote the law in their heart. And so, you know, they had inherent things that were inside of them that, when violated, were literally breaking the law that God had put in their heart. And their conscience, which every one of us has, bears witness of that law that's written in your heart. So that takes care of the people that have never heard the law, right? Everybody's sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Why? Because God wrote a law on our heart, and our conscience bears witness of that. Romans 12, 14 through 15. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires they are a lot of themselves even though they do not have a law they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus so even these people in Africa that have never received a bible they're, they're still accountable to God according to what has been written on their heart. We know that there is an inherent you know, law in a person's heart that people shouldn't kill people. They shouldn't murder people. You know that, that is something within written on our hearts, and our conscience bears witness of that. And, and when we violate that, then we're violating a law that God has written in our heart. And so we're guilty, regardless if we ever... Had ever heard the commandment thou shalt not murder you understand so that's what he's saying here God's law was given firstly to judge second to reveal if there were no law then then sin couldn't be revealed it's a revealer of sin Romans three twenty. for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin Paul writes here that no one can be justified by the law no one not one single person can be justified by keeping the law because it's meant to reveal sin in our life that's the whole point of it it's a revealer the law uncovers and exposes sin in our lives it helps us to see that we're not living the standard that god put that he requires listen it's a revealer of depravity and it's also interesting enough a revealer of god and his holiness and who he is it's a revealer It helps us to see who god is and it helps us to see who we are now paul wrote that the law was a guardian you guys know this verse i i'm sure galatians 3 24 through 26 so then the law was a guardian until christ came in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in christ jesus you are all sons of god through faith the law was our guardian It means it was our teacher. It was our trainer. It's our tutor. It's meant to reveal to us the depravity and our desperate need for forgiveness through Jesus Christ and by faith in Him and Him alone. It's not adherence to rules. It's not adherence to, you know, God's law that will save you. It's by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's by faith. believing in what Jesus did for you why am I hammering this down we've all heard this before because people slip back into that mentality constantly constantly it's called legalism people slip back into that place where they start living by rules rather than by faith and they start saying well I'm not I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that and that's great Do, do that in your life as it relates to your conscience and, you know, because if you, if you break your conscience, that's sin to you. But You have to be careful that you don't put some of those things on other people where their conscience is clear about some of those things. Legalism. The legalist thinks that by adhering to rules that they're saved by those things. They are not. It's by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone that we're saved. Jesus is the answer. Listen, you can't reach God by adhering to the rules. We can reach God through Jesus Christ and by faith in Him and His finished work on the cross. That's what First Peter 2 tells us in verses 24 and 25. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we have been healed. For you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. is that awesome? Isn't that an incredible Scripture? God made Him to, who knew no sin to be sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. How? By adhering to the law? No, by faith by faith, nothing more. Simply believing wholeheartedly in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. It would have been impossible to keep the Ten Commandments. That was the point. God wanted us to look for fulfillment of those by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Not by faith in ourselves. God's law is good and it reveals who God is to us and the way of salvation. It points us to Jesus. So beware that you're not living your life like a Pharisee. That you're not living your life thinking that, uh, you know, in the Scriptures you have life. The Scriptures themselves will point you to Jesus who is life. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. He is the only way. So the point is that the commandments are to guide us to how we are to live now. We're, we're called to live by them, to keep them. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome, but they are not the method of our salvation. They are not the method of our salvation. Jesus is the only way. And when we don't keep His commandments, His blood covers us. He forgives us. The Pharisees didn't see it like that. They were basing their salvation on themselves. And they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to... They set him up because they wanted to trap him. So, look what it says at the end of verse 1. They watched him carefully. They watched him carefully. This means that they were watching with ill will, that they were meticulously watching him to see if he would do something wrong, that that might justify them condemning him. I like what John Trapp said. He said, uh, You know, he said this. They watched as intently as a dog doth for a bone. You guys got dogs? You got bones? You see what your dog does with a bone? He is intent, man. He's like, you got a bone right there? I want that bone. And his eyes are on it meticulously watching. That's how they were watching Jesus. You ever been watched like that before? Somebody meticulously watching you for ill will? That they might critique and criticize you? Maybe your boss doesn't like you. That's a possibility. I'm not saying it it is that way but it might be and he's meticulously watching you why Because he wants to fire you he doesn't like you so he's going to watch you and everything you do he's going to intently watch so that he can get a paper trail he's going to hand the paper trail into hr and say i want this person gone finally they're out of my hair anybody have a boss like that don't raise your hand Maybe it's your in-laws. I'm not saying it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not saying that. But maybe they don't appreciate you as much as you appreciate them. And everything you do, they're watching you meticulously. Everything you do, they criticize you. They critique you. Listen. They're doing it because they disprove. They're not on the same page with you. There's nothing you can do about that. But they're watching. So what can you do? Your best. That's all you can do. I thank God my in-laws aren't like that. I love them and they love me, I think. I think they do. But listen, it's not a desirable place to be when somebody's watching you meticulously every single move that you make. But that is a reality. Do you realize that? When you bear the name Christian, that you are, are, are taking that on, right? You're gaining a whole new audience that you never would have had before. People are watching you. And they're watching you intently. And they're waiting. And many of them are watching as your critic. And they're waiting for you to mess up so they can point it out. So how do we respond to that? Well, the Bible tells us in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, towards unbelievers, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be grace, gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And again, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Listen, walk carefully, carefully, not haphazardly, carefully, because people are watching. And I would say that you and I are being watched to a whole different level than any other group has ever been watched before as it relates to Christianity. Why? Social media. Social media. Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest you know, uh, Snapchat, whatever it is, whatever social media platforms you're on, do you know that you have an entirely, uh, you know, different audience than you would have had had that not been available to you? I mean, you get friend requests from people you don't know and you're just like, oh, I want to have more friends. Oh, I want to be scrutinized more. That's what you're doing. You're gaining an audience that's going to scrutinize you. You realize that. Man, I, you're going to go home and de-friend a bunch of people. You're like, I don't know these people, man. I don't... I'm not doing that anymore because these people are watching. They're watching. They're watching. And they're wondering, how are you going to respond? I use my Facebook as a means of um, you know, sharing my faith. That's the whole purpose of it. I don't use it for any other reason. And you know, when I start to post things that are my opinion, that are controversial, maybe a little edgy, maybe questionable guess what happens my not only does my character become you know in question but also the Lord's but also the Lord's we have to be careful about what we're doing on social media about how we're relating to our coworkers, and all these different things why because people are watching you have an audience and I know you don't think that you're the star of the show but you are you are, and in in your audience is watching, and they're waiting, and they're just taking notes. Yep, yep, Peter's writing a book on me. It's probably eight, ten volumes now, and it, you don't want to read it, I promise. Every time I do something stupid, he goes, that's going in the book, man. So, so I, I don't hang out with him anymore. But, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, we have to be careful, man. We have to be careful about what we're posting, because our posts are being scrutinized. I was reading um, I was reading on one of my friends' Facebook uh, a couple days ago, and, and it was to, to my exact point. That's what she said. I don't even feel like I can post anything anymore because it's scrutinized, and I feel like there's people watching, and then they say mean things to me. I'm like, welcome to Lights, Camera, Action. Hello. You have an audience. Did you not know that? You accepted friend requests. That means they can see what you're doing. I don't know why people are... Are saying things against me because they don't agree with you and we have you know keyboard courage (laughs) and then you send it and you're like oh boy maybe I shouldn't have sent that you know we have an audience and many are the critics that that are watching our lives so the Bible tells us to do our best to walk carefully in wisdom towards unbelievers because they're watching don't post questionable stuff Don't post anything that might be scrutinized, might be misinterpreted. Don't don't use coarse jesting on your Facebook page. Don't do that stuff. If you're at the very same time proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, because it not only affects your character, but it affects his. We're not free to express ourselves. We've been set free to express the love of God to a dying world. You hear that you're not free to do whatever you want you're an ambassador you've been called to represent him and remember that because everything that you do either brings him fame or brings him shame one or the other what are you doing in your life today are you glorifying him or are you shaming him oh come on are you serious yeah let me give you a little scripture ezekiel 36 20 through 23. But when they, speaking of the children of Israel, came to the nations, wherever they came, they profane my holy name, in that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of the Lord had profaned, house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say To the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. The Lord is saying, the children of Israel defamed Him greatly. By the way that they lived, they adapted to the world, man. They started worshiping idols, they started doing all this stuff just like the world was, they were no different. And God said, man, that brought shame on me. And so I have to, on my behalf, act to bring my name back up to where it's supposed to be. Listen, God wants the world to know that He's the Lord. And your life should speak that. Your life is supposed to proclaim that. Not bring question to it. Live carefully because the audience is watching. In this case, they're watching carefully because they're, setting Jesus up. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Here's the setup. It's Sabbath day. There's a man who has dropsy. That means that he is taking on water in his face. That's what it means. It's a, it's a, it's a symptom of a disease. It's not the disease itself. It's a symptom of something that's going on in this man's body. He probably had congestive heart failure. Congestive heart failure causes you to retain water in your face to the point that you're almost drowning at times. Could be renal failure. Could be all kinds of different things that cause your body to do that. This man had something internal going on that was so serious that he was re- retaining water to the point that they could see it on his face. And this man was coincidentally in the presence of. Of these people at this dinner party of a prominent Pharisee where Jesus happened to just be, right? It's a setup, man. It's a setup. They would invite people like this to a dinner party. Now, granted, during that time when they did have dinner parties, the door was open and people could come in and out. But they're watching carefully. It's as if they have set this thing up. Perfectly, they have scripted and they're they're, they've set this up so that Jesus, so that they can see what Jesus will do on the Sabbath, and Jesus sees right through this. Look at verse three. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not?" Jesus responds to them. Why? He didn't. No one asked any question. No one made a statement. Jesus responds to them. In the sense of he knows why they invited him to this place. He, he responds to them in the fact that he, he responds to the indictment that they're trying to place upon him. And so he asks them the question that they're trying to um, incriminate him on. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful? I would focus on the word lawful. Is it lawful? Get the experts out here get the scribes out here let's talk about what is lawful and what is not let's pull out the scripture let's look at his word I don't care what you say what does his word say is it lawful Jesus is a master at this you guys and it's pretty simple isn't it he's calling God's word to the table is it lawful Let's pull the Scripture out. What does it say about the Sabbath? It says nothing about healing somebody on the Sabbath. It says nothing that, it's, that it's, not, uh, it's not wrong to heal somebody on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant for rest. It was, it was, it was meant for them to just commune with, 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 with the Lord. To set, and they put a bunch of rules around this on what that meant, how far you could walk how much weight you could lift. It, you know, if you spit on the ground and, you, and you, you know, you'd be accused of work as if you were making clay. I mean, it was ridiculous. What you, you couldn't comb your hair on the Sabbath. Like, God is really worried about that, right? Come on. Is it lawful? Jesus poses the question of the law. The, these guys are living according to tradition. Their tradition said, Life-threatening situations are the only way that you can heal somebody on the Sabbath. So Jesus calls that law into question. And that's exactly what we should do when it comes to facing a legalist. As we call God's word to the table, what does his word say? I don't care what you say. What does his word say? What does his word say? You're telling me that I got to do this in order to be saved? What does his word say? There are those in in the Christian camp that would say, you have to be baptized to be saved. What does this word say? My Bible says that if I call upon the name of the Lord, I'll be saved. If I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. It says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not whoever was baptized, we start to add things to salvation, and that is legalism. And how do we deal with that? We bring the word out. Now, granted, people are going to bring their interpretations of God's word out, and they're going to say, "Well, no, it says right here, you know, Peter said that that be baptized and be saved and whatnot." Okay, well, that is—is is that really what that means? Is that baptism is a part of salvation? Don't you think Jesus would have made that part of his message if if that was really the case? No. It's not. It's by fa- it's faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, Him alone. Not in anything that you and I could do, right? And so we bring the Word to the table. We ask what the Word says. Not what you think it says, but what does it say? Let's look at it. Let's see the Word. Question. What, bring it out. Let's see what the Word says. Is it lawful to go to the movies? Is it lawful to drink a beer? Is it lawful to smoke a cigarette? Is it lawful to go to work on Sundays? What does His Word say? Not what you think it says, but what does it say? That's what you use. That's how you use. That's why God gave us this thing, because you and I are all smart enough. Thank goodness to the Holy Spirit to be able to understand this. The Holy Spirit teaches us what it what it means, what it says, what God meant by it. So we, you know, First John two twenty seven. We don't need any man to teach us, but the Holy Spirit, the anointing on your life, the Holy Spirit will teach you teach you that's the awesome thing about the Bible you can sit at home by yourself and you can open it up and you can start to read it you can ask God to help you understand it and he will because he wants you to know it it's his guide to life this is no mystery this isn't some encoded book that God is trying to hide the truth from you he's trying to reveal himself through this is a revelation to you and I about who he is about salvation is it lawful that's the question Jesus poses them. How how do they answer him? Look at verse 4. But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that is fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. They remained silent, not because they didn't have an opinion about this, by the way. Not because they didn't have an answer to Jesus about this, they would tell him, "Yes, it's unlawful to heal him." That was their thinking. But they remain silent in this moment. They want Jesus to indict himself. They're not going to help him along. They're just go ahead, go ahead. We're going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. <laughs> it backfires. They hang themselves. Is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Jesus answers His own question by acting. And He just heals the guy. He took him, He healed him, and He sent him away. Jesus answered the question, it is not not unlawful to do this. It is good. It is okay. God would have you to, 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 to do this in this situation where this man has a need and God wants to meet his need and it's okay to do that on a Sabbath day. Totally okay for that. So Jesus takes this man who was being used as a prop in the movie and he grabs him and he heals him and then he sends him on his way. He has compassion on him. Immediately the drops, he's gone. The the water from his face has been, it's gone. Whatever issue he had internally is healed. This man has been touched by Jesus. And when you're touched by Jesus, you are never the same. And this man was never the same. And Jesus sent him on his way. Why? That he might be able to rejoice in what God had just done. This guy was a pawn in a game. And Jesus said, I will not have this man be a pawn in your little scheme. And so he has compassion on him and he heals him and he just sends him on his way that he might go and just rejoice in the Lord. No doubt that guy right there when he left, felt loved, maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time he felt that God wasn't against him, but God was for him. Maybe for the first time in his life he thought that, you know, that that God was okay with him at this point, that he wasn't upset with him, and that's why he had this disease because that would have been the thinking of the day. That would have been what was said to him. And yet this man, this man just happening to be there, being used by the Pharisees, ends up being blessed incredibly. And Jesus just touches his life. What a wonderful moment for this guy. Wonderful moment. So Jesus sent him away that he can enjoy it. And then he turns to the Pharisees and the scribes, and now he says this which of you having a son? Your translation may say donkey. Don't equivalate those two, but you know, there's a there's a manuscript error or there's a there's a debate I should say on whether it should say son or or donkey whatever the case might be the meaning doesn't change it could be son it could be donkey it doesn't really matter all that much If you had a son or donkey or you had an ox which one of you on the Sabbath that fell into a well would not immediately like without even thinking oh it's the Sabbath I don't know is is this life threatening let me assess this situation which one of you immediately wouldn't just pull them out and start to pull them out of the out of the well You would go and rescue that person, that that, that ox, that that donkey, whatever it might be, on the Sabbath from drowning in the well. And yet, you're telling me that it's unlawful for me to heal this man who's drowning inside from the water that he's retaining? Man, their view is so skewed. Their view is so skewed. They are so hard-hearted. That it's not even really a matter of what God's word says and what it doesn't say. It's a matter of, I don't care. It's a matter of, I see it this way and I don't want to hear anything else and I don't care what his word says. And I don't, you, you meet people like that on the street, don't you? I don't care about what God's word says. I don't care about that. I'm going to do it this way because that's the way I'm in hardness of heart. And that's where these people are. They are so hardened of heart that they can't even make the, 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 they can't even see the parallel here that Jesus is saying it's, it's not unlawful to do that, but it's unlawful for me to heal a guy. Like a human life is like equivalent to an animal here? Some of you would say yes. Your dogs. My dog's a human being. No. But the reality is this. Jesus is saying you guys wouldn't even think twice about getting your animal out of this. Notice their response once again. And they could not reply to these things. It's not that they, that, that, they, that they would reply, it's they couldn't reply. Because the truth was so prevalent there. I mean, it was so clear. They could not because they knew Jesus was absolutely right. Listen, a legalist will never be able to answer you when you stick them solely to God's word, when you bring up God's word. <clears throat> Jesus is going to go on here next week and maybe the week after as we continue in in Luke chapter 14. And he's going to talk about the parable of the wedding feast. And he's going to talk about how you guys want to be prominent in your own selves and take the best seats in the house and all this kind of stuff. (coughs) And, And then he's going to go on and talk about eternity, he's going to talk about the great banquet that who everyone's invited to and he's going to continue to use this whole scenario to continue to paint the truth to these guys but they're unwilling he already said that as jesus said stood outside jerusalem before he departed and he said oh jerusalem jerusalem how i long to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks but you were not willing they had already rejected him they had already in their minds closed off the idea that he was Messiah, that he wasn't the one. And so Jesus will continue to try and pour into them and they will continue to reject him. That's, that's a wrap. That's a wrap, Jesus would say to them in this instance. Your setup didn't work. You didn't catch me. You're the ones in error here, not me. And how did he do it? Through the scripture he used god's word he called god's word to account and so i would tell you this morning that you know if you're facing things in your life and you have questions about stuff god's word has the answer you don't have to wonder you can go to his word and you can look and you can find out what it says about that subject that you're dealing with god wants you to know he wants to reveal that thing to you but here's the deal you have to be willing when you come You have to be open. Your heart has to be willing to receive what he will say to you. Because if you're like the Pharisee and you've already made your mind up before you even look into the word, kind of pointless. But if you would come to God's word open-heartedly and say, Lord, I just want to know if there's things in my life that maybe I'm playing the legalist on or maybe I've I've taken beyond what your word says, help me to see those things, Lord. You know, I want to live free. And here's the thing. You set me free. Why would I want to in bondage myself to things that I ought not be in bondage to? And I would tell you that also, the the other thing is, is that, remember, what you do reflects him. You understand that? The rules you make, the fences you build, they reflect him and his character and his nature in the eyes of your audience. So be careful. Jesus shows us how to play our roles well in the movie that he's designed for us play it well Christian because the lights are always on the camera is always rolling and your respective audience is always watching amen let's pray father we thank you for your word this morning we thank you God that you've given us such clear insight and wisdom through your word you've given us all the answers we need God we pray this morning Lord that whatever we might face in our lives today whatever convictions we might have in our heart that they would be from you lord that um if there's fences we've built around your word that have become legalisms in our own life lord that you would reveal those things to us that we might get rid of those things lord we don't want to be legalists you don't want us to be a legalist help us to remember lord as christians that that there is an audience always watching us, Lord, and that that audience is not only making assessments about who we are, but they're also making assessments about who you are, Lord. So Help us to live well. Help us to walk carefully as your word tells us to. And Lord, I pray that you would just empower us to see the truth and to proclaim it into others' lives who are in bondage to legalism. We pray by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would just, Continue to quicken our hearts to become more like Jesus. That's our prayer. Lord, I do pray for anyone here this morning that that this not in right relationship with you or maybe has come and they, they thought that, you know, by coming even to church, that that's the way to please you, Lord. And yet we know the Word tells us that the only way to please God is by faith, by placing our trust and hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. So, Lord, if there were anyone here this morning that would need that relationship with you, that they would cry out to Jesus in, a, in an effort to repent from their own sin, Lord, and turn to what he has done for them on the cross. Your word tells us if we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so it's just a full surrender to you. So, Lord, for the rest of us here this morning, as we just uh, close in this song, that you would help us to realize we have everything we need in you and that we would surrender our lives and just live in that constant mode of surrender, Lord. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.